Lord, we bless you and we thank you. You are ever mindful of us, Lord. You search and seek us out. We pray for hearts to hear as you speak. Lord, I ask for the power of the word of God to be upon my mouth and not mine. Lord, I can't do this without you, nor do I want to. And nor can we hear without you, Father. So we ask for your favor be upon both the hearing and the speaking of the word of God, that faith would arise in this place, that we would hear your word. And as we hear, our faith would be restored and fulfilled. I pray a blessing over every person here in this house, those listening and watching. God, that you begin to move in their life you begin to establish your kingdom in them and around them. Holy Spirit, we ask that you see the blood in, the, in our lives. And Father, we pray that, uh, that your spirit of love and who you are would cover a multitude of sins in this place. We bless you and we thank you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise God. Well, I hope some of you guys feel a little bit better. The rest of you guys who were feeling awesome, I'm glad you were already doing good. Um, if you want to, I want you to um, open your Bible. We're going to be a minute getting there. Um, but if you want to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 7, we're going to uh, discuss some things there in, in that text. Anybody feel better? Anybody? Okay. Uh, we've been on the topic of sonship, and if you haven't been listening to the messages, I hate to have to go through this entire intro, but please go back and listen to them. You can find them on uh, the website. Thank you guys so much. Um, thank you guys in the back. You guys are all doing a good job. Um, so you can go to proclaimingjesus.com, and uh, under the sermons tab, we've been putting the newer, updated sonship messages on there. And you can check those out. If you uh, haven't listened to those, it might be midstream you're jumping into here, which is okay. Hopefully you'll be able to catch up. But the identity of the believer has its foundation in the reality of God. Not in the reality of your circumstance or the reality of what you think reality is. We're famous for building idols. You with me? An idol is any kind of thought or idea that I think God is that isn't. And then I begin to worship that thing. Jesus says in John 4, you worship what you do not know. In other words, it's possible to come to church and worship Jesus, thinking you're worshiping Jesus, but you're worshiping your idea of Jesus, and Jesus himself is not receiving worship. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? Okay. It's important we know who we are because out of what God made us to be, we have a reference of who he is because he begins to show himself not only individually but corporately. The corporate expression is the identity of God. Does that make sense to you? Each person bears a trademark or a fingerprint of God's existence that collectively brings forth a body that emulates his son. And each person has to supply their part to the body or else God's glory cannot be fully revealed. You with me? This is why it's not just about one pastor behind a pulpit in a church or a bunch of pastors behind pulpits in the church because the pastors, frankly, in the kingdom relevance are not that important, okay? 
The Holy Spirit living and residing in the people of God is the importance to the army of Jesus Christ. You are more of a factor in this changing this world than I am. My job is to light a fire under you and make you understand what God made you to be so that you can do a work that I cannot do. You understand this? We elevate the leadership in the modern-day Christendom and everything else, but we're completely wrong. Why? Because, like I said earlier, we can make idols out of anything. And we do that with our leaders, and this is why we run to big conferences and big names, because we're trying to fill a void in our life that only Jesus can fill, and we're hoping a man can do it. You can be blessed by people and their gifts, but collectively, Jesus is waiting not for a one-man show revival, but a testimony of his people in collaborative unity under the power of his kingdom presence to demonstrate him in this world in a way that no one can articulate yet to call it the church. Does this make sense to you? The church is not a building. You with me? Oh, that's a... That was totally off my topic there. So there, that's free. I won't charge you for that one. You can take that, say it's yours, and go talk to somebody else about it. But what creates the identity of, 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 of the believer is the identity of the son. Okay, Jesus, being the, the only begotten son, is replicated in our creation. Does that make sense to you? Our being born again makes us born again in the model, the DNA, and the outcome of who he is, was, and always will be. In other words, we are his likeness. We are made in his image even the second time. So Jesus is the reality of a son, and so therefore he's the standard of all sonship, which means our versions of Christianity have to begin to fall away so that the life, the practical reality, and the anointing of who he is as a man becomes the standard. Not our religious circles, not our denominations, not our lack of denominations, not our non-denominationalisms. That can't be the criteria. Jesus is the criteria. Does this make sense? We will all stand before God, not on your version of Christianity, but you will stand next to the man himself. There will be a comparative moment where God looks back and forth and says, do they look like him? If they do, then he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Why doesn't he say son? Because sons serve. Do you understand? If he doesn't know you and he looks back and forth, he's not going to honor and cherish your version or rendition of Christianity. He's simply going to say, I don't know who you are. You're not my child. I did not birth you. You're not of my reality. You're not of my existence. I don't care what you said you believed. You did not emulate the king in the earth. Why? Because God believes that his identity has a reality. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is, is that God believes that his identity in you should have a reality and an impact in this earth. And if it doesn't, there's no reality of, of, of identity. In other words, if you're a son, you're going to do things that sons do. And if you're not doing the things that sons do, you just have a very shallow shell of religion. And you can maybe get touched by the Holy Spirit when you come to a corporate expression, but you can never generate that spirit on your own. Does this make sense? You say, well, I feel the presence of the Lord at home when you're completely shattered and broken and, and, and crying out to God in mercy or when everything is completely horrible that you can stop and command the sea to calm in your life. There's a big difference. Anybody can call out to Jesus and feel his presence when they're under the weight of their own sin. 
that doesn't mean you can command the anointing. Commanding the anointing means that you're able to take everything that's coming against you, simply step above it and say, you have no place in me, devil, and I command calm to come to this area of my life. That's a son. You with me? Those who follow Jesus get freaked by the storm. Sons simply know they have the power and authority to command it. You with me? Okay. We need to know who we are. So how does this sonship get born? It's simply by faith. So what I'm going to talk to you this morning about is faith in connection with sonship. How it works, why it's important, and without it, there can be no connection between us and God. The Holy Spirit is the spirit that makes us new and born again. You with me? But without faith, we do not have access to that spirit. We are saved by grace through faith. Take away the faith, there is no through. There's no access. Faith gives you an access to a realm and a kingdom that you do not own. Does this make sense to you? Faith brings a reality of another world into yours. Faith commands something larger and greater than yourself to come into your reality because you have the authority and the identity to command it. Faith is not just wishful thinking and hoping that something will turn out someday. What I've noticed for 25 years of ministry is that I found out is this, is people in, in church confuse faith with hope. They don't know the difference. In fact, they'll say, well, I'm just believing the Lord. What they're saying is, I'm hoping everything's going to turn out. That, that is not faith. Hope has no substance. Hope is looking for something that you're planning on, wishing for to be a reality. Does that make sense to you? Faith has a substance. It's tangible. It's something you grab a hold of. Why? Because it's something you own. Faith knows it's going to happen. Therefore, it's not swayed when it doesn't seem to be happening. In other words, Jesus possessed the ability to calm the storm before the storm ever existed. That's why he wasn't freaking out when it happened. Because most Christians live their life in defense. Does this make sense to you? Faith is a tangible substance. If it wasn't, you would have no tangibility to your salvation. Right? Anybody think they're born again in here? Why do you think that? Because you have a tangible reality of something happening in your life. You own it. It's not something you believe. It's something you are. If it's simply something you believe, I doubt your salvation. Because Jesus didn't die to give us something to believe in. He died to give us something to become. John 1.12, whoever believed in him, he gave them power to become the sons of God. He didn't give them power to have proper doctrine and theology. God doesn't care about your doctrine or your theology. What he cares about is the life of his son coming through you into your existence. This is why the disciples who had bad theology, were still able to heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out devils. Because proper theology isn't the criteria for the miraculous. But proper identity is the criteria of sonship. Does this make sense to you? Okay. Faith is the access that we have to a realm that is not here and presently here. But we have access to it in tangibility because we've accessed it by faith. You understand? Everything of the kingdom has to be accessed by faith. It's 
starts with your salvation. That's where most Christians camp out and stay there for the rest of their life. And they think that they're good because they had an experience at one point in their life. And they keep coming to church for whatever reason. They have no clue. And that's it. No, faith gave you a substance so that you could have a continuated reality. Have I lost all of you yet? I pray not. Okay. Without faith, there's no sonship. It's simple. How many times have you, as a Christian, been so underneath the voice of doubt in your life that you even doubted whether you were saved or not? Anybody reach that point? Do you know why that happened? Because your faith empowered your doubt, which made you in question your identity. So you ha everybody has faith. People say, oh, you don't have enough faith. That's a bunch of malarkey. Everybody has a bunch of faith. They're just giving it to the wrong area. That's what makes the lie believable. It's not the lie. It's your faith added to the lie that makes it believable. When you give into emotion and you give your faith to how you feel instead of what he said, you undermine your kingdom reality. So you need to go back and re-listen to it, what I just said. You cannot give into emotion and have it unaffect your kingdom reality. Jesus didn't live his life based upon how he felt. He lived his life based upon who he was. Does this make sense? Most Christians do not live their Christian life out of who they are. They live their Christian life out of how they feel. Don't tell me I'm wrong. Some of you can't because you've been in counseling sessions with me over your emotions. <laughs> so, so faith is my yes to his word. Unbelief is my yes to hell. Both are empowered by my authority. When you're down and depressed and completely in darkness and, and just, just confused, you, you are there because of your own authority oppressing you. You say, oh, the devil's just really oppressed. No, it's not the devil. The devil has no power. He has no ability. It's your authority against yourself. It's a divided kingdom. When you have a foundation split, the rest of the house feels it. Does this make sense to you? When you are against yourself in your own head and in your own mind or you're against your wife or against your spouse, something of division happens. And then when that happens, all chaos comes into the home. True or not? Why? Because we're giving our yes to what we don't believe and we're giving our no to what we do believe. We base our sonship on how we feel. Tell me I'm wrong. Okay. Faith, listen, okay, so how do we get there? We, we, faith, you heard the gospel at one point, and you believed. Okay? Faith, people say faith comes by uh, the word. It doesn't come by the word. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing. Okay? You say, well, uh, but hearing comes by the word of God. It doesn't say that. It says, hearing comes by the word. You understand what I'm saying? 
Hearing comes by the word. Well, what if the word is spoken out of the wrong mouth and out of the wrong season and out of the wrong spirit? And you believe it. What if Jesus would have believed the word of God spoken out of the mouth of the devil in Matthew 4? It's the word, right? You, you understand what I'm saying? So let's make the connection. When the word of God is in you because it is who you are, you will reject a word coming to you when it doesn't bear the same identity. Does this make sense? So there's a lot of well-meaning and well-intentioned prophets that come and give you quote-unquote words. That doesn't mean they're from the Lord. But if you give your faith to them, you empower them whether they're true or whether they're not. Be it unto you according to your faith. Isn't that what Jesus says? In other words, the power that you operate in in your life, whether demonically or holy, comes from the faith that you give either party. Jesus only operated in true faith constantly. In fact, you can read in, in the New Testament and epistles uh, most, multiple times, over and over and over, the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the faith of God, the faith of, of the Lord be with you, the faith of Jesus. Over and over and over, it's about his faith, his faith, his faith, his faith. Why? Because ours is sometimes not very trustworthy. Does this make sense to you? So when we tap into his faith, we tap into his reality. When we tap into his faith, we tap into his identity. When we tap into who he is, we tap into what he has. When we tap into something else, then that becomes our impregnation. That becomes the seed of the moment that's, that's planted inside of us, and it can only produce death. Does this make sense to you? Okay. So faith comes by hearing, not by the word, but by hearing. Abraham did not have faith until he heard God. You with me? Sometimes we're hearing other things and we're trying to have faith in those things. We need to hear God. God speaks through a lot of different ways. I'm not going to get into that. He speaks communally. He speaks pastorally. He speaks individually. But nonetheless, they all should confirm. If they're not, then something's wrong. Either people aren't hearing or you're not hearing. But you've got to hear. You understand what I'm saying? So when you hear, then you have tangibility to be able to say, this is the Lord. Then it's going to move you in a place. Usually when you hear God, this is a side note, when you hear God, it's going to usually move you to a place you don't want to be in. Every time in the Bible where God tells somebody to go somewhere, do something, it's always to a place where I don't want to go there. That's why I'm in Harrison. Seriously, that's why I'm here. I've tried, to, I've tried to leave this town so many times. All right. So, hearing is the ability of a son. Sons hear. They hear the Lord. And if something comes dressed as the Word of God in another platform, they will not receive it and they'll spit it out. Why? Because they know the voice of their father. Jesus says... In John 10, he says what? My sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. Why? Because they're sons. They're made in my image. You with me? Okay. So our ability to hear depends on which word we pay attention to. 
Like I said, in Matthew 4, Jesus hears the word coming out of the mouth of the wrong species, the wrong identity, the wrong authority, and he doesn't pay attention to it. In fact, he answers the word with the word from the proper authority, from the proper submission, from the proper issue. Why? Because the whole point of the, the, of the devil's temptation in Matthew 4 there was this. Bow down and I'll give you your sons back. In fact, it was the whole intention of God given to him on a silver platter without the cross. You, you see what I'm saying? He came to rescue us from darkness. Darkness literally and legally in Matthew 4 owned us. The devil was our father. Jesus says that very clearly in John 8. We, it's all about sonship. Whose daddy do you have? And the devil said, I'll give them all to you. This is why you came. I know you're here for them. I know you're here for them. You bow down to me and I'll give them to you. Why? Because any type of action from a son that doesn't include a cross is a word from hell. Jesus is signified not only by the cross, but by resurrection. The word should have a place of death in your life before it has a place of resurrection. When you know that something's coming to a place of death, you're pretty sure to know that you're following the way of the master. Because the devil will do anything and everything to keep you away from suffering and cross-filled situations where you have to put yourself on the line in times of difficulty and struggle and trust the Lord in your own death, in your own problems, your own trials that you're going through. He does not want that old man gone from your life. Because as long as the old man is in your life, you're manipulable. The more you get rid of the old man and the more you crucify him and the more he's raised in the newness of the, of the uh, second Adam, then the less manipulable you are. And that threatens him. Does this make sense to you? Okay, so we need faith in the word of God. Who's the word of God? Jesus. He's also a son. We need faith to maintain our sonship. Without it, we have no access to the authority and the kingdom we claim to be sent by. With me? Okay. So in Ephesians 6, we're not going to go there just real quick. I'm just kind of giving you some, some highlights here to understand where I'm going. In Ephesians 6, it says that our loins need to be girded about with truth, right? You understand what I'm saying? Our loins, our reproductive seed of sons, our ability to produce sons should be done in truth. Truth is a spirit. He's the Holy Spirit. He's the one that births sons. And then how we're birthed is by faith. So everything we replicate in our life as sons should come from faith. It should come from faith. In fact, Romans says that whatever's not done in faith is sin. And in context, he's talking about even things like eating and drinking. So even the small, minor things of our life have to be touched by faith. Do you understand what I'm saying here? As a son, you have to operate in faith. Now, I'm going to get to some other things here that hopefully will keep your attention, but right now I'm fighting for it. All right. So as a son, we have to operate in faith. I say this all the time, and I may get in trouble for it, but I'll stand on it anyway. I would rather do the wrong thing in faith than the right thing in unbelief. And I don't say that in the sense where I want to choose the wrong thing. What I'm saying is when I don't know, whatever situation puts me more on the cross, puts me more uncomfortable, and, that, and I know that's the way of a son. And I don't know if it's right or not. I take that way in faith, believing. 
Because if I'm wrong, I still get the reward because I did it in faith. Right? Because sons live and walk by faith. All right. So we put our trust into what he's spoken because what he has spoken is our ultimate created reality. Okay? All right. Let's see. Okay, circumstance has to have its place in your life. Circumstance is where you apply faith, true or not. Circumstance has to have its place in your life. Many people pray to get God to move circumstance out of their life. If he did that, you would have no faith to apply in your life. You're asking for the removal of the thing that's ultimately going to be your blessing because the faith is the only thing you're going to be able to give him in the end as a reward. And if those circumstances were removed, so would be your ability to offer him something in the end. It's not about God getting to fix situations because that's honestly the, the context of most modern-day Christendom is that God exists to keep bad things from happening. Right? My life's going crazy, so I need to find Jesus. My kids are going crazy, so I need to, you know, come back to prayer and freak out and, and ask God to, 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 to fix it all. Why? Because we want this life fixed. God cares about this life, but not over the life that you're going to get after you leave here. Does this make sense to you? And if we're not involved in that kingdom reality before we get there, then it means we didn't operate in faith to bring it here and operate in it before we got there. So the circumstance has to have its place in your life for faith to be of value. So faith brings God's reality to my identity. And I'll say that again. Faith brings God's reality to my identity. Faith brings God's reality to my identity. When God's reality comes to my identity, my circumstances will naturally change. Why? Because the Son is present. And a son is present in a way where he's not trying to get selfishly his situation to change. A son is present because he will only change the situation when he hears his father say to do so. It's amazing that most people have never come to the place in their life where you have the power to change a situation and you won't do it because you know it's not time. Most of us are still trying to get to the point where we have the power to change the situation. Jesus always had the authority and power to change it. He just waited on the timing to do so. See me? Go ask Lazarus how he felt when he's sick. And his own cousin, the Messiah, won't show up to pray for him to get him healed. Jesus possessed the authority to do so, but as a son, he waits for the timing. Why? Because the son carries the presence, the reality of God, but the reality of God will not selfishly consume its, its reality. It will wait to give it when it hears the Father say to do so. Somebody say, well, Jesus is my best friend. You realize how he treats his best friends? He calls them to come where he goes. Where's he, call, where's he going? To the cross. But what we want to do is create and form a sterile version of Christianity where there is no suffering and God fixes everything. He gives me my perfect life now. So faith is believing that the nature of God will remain true both in, in me and in my circumstances. It's the, it's the belief that, that God's nature will remain true in me and in my circumstances, which means my identity can't be compromised by my circumstance. doesn't matter how I feel. 
You know, there's times where I get up here and I feel so full of the Holy Spirit that I feel like just boiling out of me. And then there's other times up here I feel like I'm dragging a dead horse. But it doesn't matter how I feel. You understand that? The reality of God is in me and it can't be compromised by my circumstances. My emotions don't have the right over the kingdom that's in my spirit. But how many times do we surrender the kingdom that's inside us to the emotional construct of what's going on around us because we don't really believe in our true identity? Because if we believed in our identity, we would act in it. Sons naturally act. You don't have to tell sons to go save souls. It's in them to do so. If you have to teach evangelism courses to sons, they're not sons. You only have to teach people to go save the lost when they don't want to do so. The nature of a son is to restore the family of God. Does this make sense to you? So much of our Christianity is basically trying to get saved people saved. I think there's a lot of people in church that need to get born again. Well, I had an experience. I don't care if, if, you, if God touched you when you were seven. What have you done since then? A son will continually work and act and move and bring people to the reality of the presence of Jesus. I hate people all the time, and I, and I said this a couple weeks ago, but I get people all the time who just want to come argue theology with me, and I just stop and I say, when's the last time you got somebody born again? When's the last time you discipled somebody? You took them in, and you let their humanity beat on you, and you just loved them through it for years. Because that's what Jesus did with us. Three and a half years he walked with those men, and their humanity beat on him. For three and a half years, where he, many times in, in the scriptures, he groaned in his spirit. That's, that's the modern day equivalent of like, oh my gosh. That's what sons do. See, see, sons cannot change things until they are changed. You can't change your circumstance until the circumstance has had its work in you. The problem is your prayer time is asking God to remove the thing that's actually going to bring you to the place where you honestly want to be. Ask Jesus when he asked, when he asked the Father to take the cross away from him. You're probably going to get the same response the only begotten God. Silence. Because there's no other way. With me? All right. So the faith will first change me, and then he'll empower me to change my circumstance. But unbelief is, is literally my yes to a reality that's lesser than God. Um, that's real good. Chad, thank you for saying that. It helped me out a lot. Changed my life. I appreciate you. <laughs> See, unbelief is the empowering of the need over the provider. It's idolatry of the need over the provision. Sons don't see the need, they see the provision. The people who follow Jesus that aren't quite full in their sonship yet, they're, they're the ones that see the need. Right? All these people need to be fed. He's like, you feed them. 
Go read the story. He says it. You feed them. Why? Because Jesus believed they had the authority to do so. The problem, they didn't believe they had the authority to do so, so Jesus as a son had to step in to do it because he saw the provision, not the need. They saw the need, not the provision. And this is how our whole Christian life is, 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 is summed up. We see how horrible our sons are being or our daughters are being or our kids are being or our wife is, are being, is being or our spouses are and then we're moved by the need. Or we see how bad we are or how selfish we are, how horrible we are, and we're moved again by the need. We're not moved by the provision. Because if you were moved by the provision, the need would have no power in your life. Therefore, the lie would have no power in your life. How many of you are actually, I mean, don't raise your hand, but how many of you actually can say the, the majority, the pie chart of my life in Christendom has been moved by the need? That's a, that's a scary place to be. That means you are manipulable. And you're using your religion as a crutch to get through your Christianity that you say has all power and authority. You show up for church to appease your conscience instead of to please him. Does this make sense to you? All right. So faith first changes me, and then God will empower me to change my circumstances. So unbelief has its root in lack of love. Basically, you don't believe God loves you enough to do it. Unbelief has its root in a, in a lack of love. In other words, you're saying God isn't who he is. God is what? Love. But yet whenever it comes down to my need not getting fixed because I can't see the provision, I don't believe God is God because I don't believe he loves me enough to do it. Now, you'll never say that, but that's how we act and that's how we respond and that's how we articulate in our actions. And I've said it before. Uh, you can ask people all the time. And... and, and Try it. Try it. Try it in your own life. Find someone who's sick and ask them, do you believe God can heal? And they're going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe. Because you're going to, the first response is always that religious programming. But then ask them this, do you believe he'll heal you? Usually it's instant silence. You know why? Because they don't believe he will. Because they don't feel worthy enough of the healing. They don't feel good enough for the healing. They don't feel like they're, they're able to be healed because of this or this or this. Or God just won't do it for me because of this and this and this. Or I've been praying for it for so long, this or this. It doesn't matter how long. How long was that woman had the issue of blood? How long did that guy sit there at the gate beautiful? How long are those people? It doesn't, the time frame doesn't matter. And what matters is the presence of a son. That's what matters. But they don't believe. Why? Because they don't believe God is who he says. In other words, they're worshiping a God that they've created that is not a God of love, but a God of dictatorship. One that doesn't love them enough to heal. Therefore, they've reframed God into an image other than love. See, God doesn't have love as a capacity. He has love as an identity. Do you get that? He can't do and be anything other than that. But we think his love is capacity. Why did Jesus tell us to love one another? Because we were then, by his spirit, made in the image of God, right? What is God? Love. In other words, he says, you should have love not as a capacity, but as an identity. There's only one way where it's not possible to love your brother. It's when you love yourself more. People say, oh, I love the Lord. Do you? 
How do you treat your brother? How do you treat your husband? How do you treat your spouse? How do you treat your kids? How do you treat the one that irritates you? Jesus says if your horizontal relationship is off, your vertical can never be correct. So where does he say that? Somewhere in there it says if you can't love your brother whom you can see, don't tell me how much you love God whom you can't. Why? Because the fulfillment of being a son is being made in the image of God. What's the image of God? Love. Love one another. It should be a, it wasn't a command, it was an invitation to identity. Even though he says a new command I give you. But see, the commands of God are never given without the ability of God. Never. God doesn't command us to do anything that he doesn't give us the ability to do. In fact, love isn't our ability, it's our identity. If our identity is suffering in love, then it means our identity is being placed in something else, which means we're living in the posture of unbelief, and unbelief has a substance just like faith. Is this? I feel like maybe I'm like dunking you guys in some sort of like torture pool or something where you come back down, you know, just, I don't know. Is this going in? Okay. I'm not waterboarding you. At least I'm not trying to. Okay. Unbelief factors the capacity, of, but, but faith apprehends the identity. Unbelief looks at the, at, the, at the potential or what the need is, but faith looks at the identity of the person who is able to fulfill all things. Does that make sense to you? When you see Jesus as resurrection, it doesn't matter what cross you have to hang on. Why? Because you know your identity is resurrection. Your identity isn't suffering. Your identity is having to go through suffering in order that you can show the world around you what it looks like to be resurrected. Can you apprehend tangibly your victory before you get there? Abraham received his son to himself before he even had them. Before he even had Isaac, he had him in faith. Why? Because he possessed him. Because he heard the word of God. He heard the son. Does this make sense to you? See, unbelief considers the Adamic, and faith apprehends the second Adam. All right, Matthew 7. Did I give you enough time to get there? All right, uh, apologize again. Our, our, our screens are out today. I'll try to get those fixed, but I'm going to have to just read it with you, or you can go in your Bible and follow along. This is where I want to kind of hone in for a minute, if you guys are okay with that. Matthew 7, verse 24. And Jesus got up, and he went into the border of Tyre and Sidon. He entered into a house, and he didn't want anybody to know where he was. But he could not be hid. That's an awesome king. Think about that statement. Even when God tries to hide from us, we find him. How come he feels always so far away then? Because it's not him who's, who's isolating, it's you. You with me? Like, I mean, let me just say it this way. Please don't throw potatoes at me. God's really bad at hide and seek. He just intentionally doesn't hide himself well because he wants us to find him. You with me? Okay. A certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit, was demonically possessed, heard of Jesus and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician, 
by nation, and she begged him that he would cast out the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, let the children or the sons, the technon, let the sons of God be filled first. That's the word he uses there. With me? Let the sons of God be filled first. It's not right that I would give the sons bread to dogs. This is a story where God is looking at a human being and establishing their identity. You with me? I mean, modern day Christians cannot handle Jesus. He would offend them. Imagine trying to go to him for help and you hear that he's the son of God and he calls you a dog. That's not the love of God. Maybe it is and you just have a really bad definition of what love really is. Maybe he gets to define you and you don't get to define him. I don't know. Right? So he says, this reality is your reality. These are the sons. You're the dog. You don't deserve me. What's the bread from heaven? It's Jesus. He says, it's not right that the son's bread, which is who? Him, be given to the dogs. In other words, it's not right for you guys to be sons because you're not born of the household. Your dog's sonship belongs to the Jews. That's what he's saying. You guys are dogs, me included. We're all, anybody Jewish in here? There you go, you got one. The rest of us, out of luck. Okay, you with me? Okay. So he says, you're a dog, you don't get to eat from my life. She wants something done in her life. But watch what she does. You guys know the story, right? She answered him and said, Yes, Lord, but the dogs under the table of the children eat the crumbs that fall to the floor. Do you see what she just did? She said, even the dogs have a place to partake of your life. Why? She stopped looking at her need, and she started looking at him as the provision. And she, said, and she agreed with him. She said, yes, I'm a dog, but I'm your dog. Why? Because it comes down to one thing, possession. Isn't that what the miracle's about? My daughter is possessed with something other than you. My family is possessed with something other than you. And I'm here telling you, we are your possession. You see this? My family is your possession. We are yours. So what's going on isn't right. So in other words, she is demanding a place in the house. You know what we do? We get offended when God doesn't do what we want to do or when somebody says there's something they shouldn't say or the pastor preaches a sermon that you don't like and then I'm just going to take my marbles and play somewhere else. In this church, that's fine with me. I'd rather you not be here if you're that way, right? That's just the way I am. But we get so offended at Jesus. We get so offended at the things he's doing in our life and the things that are going wrong. Like, God, why are you doing that? Have you guys ever prayed that way? You're like, God, why? You know, you're just, Why? And you're so moved by your situation, but you don't realize that faith comes not when you're looking at your situation, but when you're looking at who possesses you. 
in that situation? Who fills you? And he looks at her and says, woman, your faith is great, right? Go. Your daughter is healed. It's interesting that her family was restored when she fought for her identity. Two times in the Bible, Jesus was marveled by great faith. I can tie these two together if I have time, but I don't think I'm going to. Both people who impressed him with faith were not Jewish people. They weren't sons. But their faith got them their sonship reality. Sat at the table of the king to partake of everything that he owns. You and I, by faith, entered a sonship reality. If you and I consider the need and the possession of the devil in our life and in our home and in our finances and in our this and in our that, and our that if we consider those things over and over and over again, what we're, not, we're not fighting for our identity. We're believing in the accusation of being a dog. We pray like dogs when our faith should rise and say, yes, but I'm a son. But our faith is shaken. Why? Because of a little thing called time, which actually has very little significance in the grand scheme of eternity. Just because it doesn't happen next week, your faith gets shaken. You understand what I'm saying? Because you want God to work on your time frame instead of his. You with me? So faith brought the kingdom not only to her, but to her environment and her life. The circumstance is often waiting for the rule of the kingdom to enter it by faith through us. Your circumstances are waiting for the kingdom to come through you. I have seen marriages restored and things healed and, and, and relationships restored and everything just because one person stood and said, I don't care what I see. I have an answer because I have faith. I'm not in hope. Hope is wishful thinking that one day it will be a reality. Faith is I possess it now. I'm calling its reality into time. And when it comes, it's going to come because I already have it, not because I don't. Do you understand that there are certain things that you can hold in faith here and never receive them, but receive them in multiplicity in heaven? Because God is, exists outside of time. He's able to answer prayers outside of time, which means Abraham, every time somebody, every time somebody dies who's a believer and goes to heaven, God is still fulfilling his promise to bring sons to Abraham. Still answering that prayer. Still answering that covenant. Every time a, a son of God dies and goes to heaven, I am positive Jesus walks him up to Abraham and said, Behold your son. 
Because prayers and kingdom and sons live outside of this realm. We try to get everything to fit here. Some of it will. Kingdom establishment and demonstration. But there are other things that we are doing that are impacting a world we don't even have access to physically yet. But we have full authority and access to the Spirit. And we've got to live in that reality regardless of whether it comes in our time frame or not. Because that is faith. You possess your identity in the kingdom in which it was born. And if this kingdom fascinates you more than that one, then your identity is going to be subject to this kingdom and its emotions. But if you realize you were born from a different order and you don't fit in the realm of this life, nor do you care to, you begin to sow things into reality that this world must compete with in your spirit because you're there. And you've released that authority into this realm and in this life just the way I'm doing right now by preaching this word. Some of you aren't getting it. Some of you are. It doesn't matter. The seed has gone forth. Some of you, my preaching's bypassing your brain, but I know your spirit's going, something's right about what he's saying, even though I have no clue where he's going. Understand? Okay. So faith is not concerned with what, uh, what we are, but, but faith is concerned with whose we are. She wasn't concerned that he called her a dog. She was just concerned that I'm your dog. I'm yours. So everything I have is yours too, including my daughter. And if your kingdom rules inside of me, it's not right that this other reality possesses what you own. That's how you know you pray from authority. When you want your wife healed or you want this healed or your husband healed or something like that, your finances healed, you pray from that reality by saying, look, everything I have is yours. But you can't pray that prayer unless you've really laid all that down. And there's so many believers that have not laid that down, which is why the prayer doesn't work. But when you've laid it down and you really come before the master and you say, everything I have is yours and it's not right that these things are possessing what you own, that's authority in prayer. Until that point, you can... Say, oh, Lord, I give you everything. And, you, and he's like, dude, you're such a liar. You only own, I only own the parts you want to give me. Like, don't, listen, Jesus is truth, is he not? So don't expect him to pat your lies when you stand before him. When you stand before him, he's going to call people liars. He's like, you are a liar. He's not going to be socially proper with you. That's why I don't even really like to sing that song, I Surrender All, because 90% of the population in the church singing it has never surrendered all. So therefore, we're singing a lie, and that's not worship. We think surrender all comes to a salvific experience, and that's it. No, surrendering all comes after the salvific experience. Okay. So see, her faith changed her circumstances, but it changed her first. You see this reality? I want you to see this. Faith is concerned by whose we are. See, she acknowledged her identity, but she also acknowledged his authority over her identity and her life, not the circumstance. See, her faith saw the master, not the need. The need just brought her to the master, true or not. Sometimes the things that are in your life that you're praying over, God's not going to release them from because if he did, he'd be like, you know what? If I get rid of that in your life, you'll never pray again. Like The only reason you're coming to me right now in your life is because you have this issue. 
It's not because you love me. It's because things are totally out of whack. And you know that I'm the solution and I'm the source. And if I take this away, you will forget about me. They're really quiet here on that one. The need brings you to him. But the need should bring you to him in consideration of who he is and how he owns you first. And then he'll fix your need. Does this make sense? Okay. So she identified with his kingship, his kingdom, his ability. No matter what the old nature defined her as, no matter how much he said she was a dog, she identified herself as his. Her faith brought about in her a new identity. And that new identity brought about a new reality in her circumstance. So many Christians are so um, discouraged because nothing goes right in their life and they spent 20 years in church and it's just they're just numb to it. They don't even, it's because they aren't really truly made into the image of Jesus. They may be saved, but that's a big difference between that and operating as a son. Paul even says there's going to be some people that make it to heaven barely, basically what we call by the skin of our teeth, just because the foundation of what he laid, but everything else in their life they built is burnt. Does that make sense? All right. Again, the second guy, the centurion, who came to this point in his life where he found great faith with the Lord happened on authority. Why? What happened? What happened with the centurion was this. He acknowledged an authority greater than his own, and he realized that when I put my faith in your kingdom reality, it has to come under your order and your rule. You with me? You say the word, and this, if this man will be healed. Why? Because he was not looking at the need. He was looking at the authority of the need. And if I come underneath the submission of the kingdom reality of your presence, you have to rule what's yours. Does that make sense? Okay. Y'all with me still? All right. So, okay, I'm hurrying. Man. You guys remember when Peter betrayed Jesus? What did Jesus pray over him before it happened? He said, I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Now, let me ask you a question. If you hadn't, if you didn't know the end of the story, and you heard Jesus say that to Peter, and then you watched Peter do what he did, what would you think? You know why? Because you judge failure by this realm, not by your faith failing. See, in other words, if you can get through the week with all of your I's dotted and your T's crossed, you think you didn't fail. However, you could have lived your entire week in unbelief with your faith failing and you would have thought you did well. In other words, it would be better for you to have a horrible, crappy week in faith than it would be to have a great week in unbelief. Because you think the authority of your life depends on your performance instead of his. The authority he gave you doesn't hinge upon whether you do good that week or not. That's for you. There's a whole other sermon on confidence. He says, don't cast away your confidence because it has great recompense of reward. Confidence is the fact that you know you're walking with the king, and therefore, because of that, you can operate fully as a son. But that doesn't hinder you from being one. Does this make sense? So Peter failed. Yes or no? Yes. 
He failed. Peter failed, but his faith did not. It's possible to fail, but have your faith not. Do you understand that reality? But see, most people, when they fail, they lose their faith. Because they think failure is God's standard, whether you pass or fail. It's crazy to me how we really we have more of an Islamic type religion than we do Christianity. And it's this 51, 49 percent. Well, I did more good this week than bad, so I'm doing okay. But that's how we think. Well, I got in a fight with my wife two or three, four, five, five times a day this last week, so I didn't have a good week. Is that the determining factor? What is failure to God? It's when your faith fails. Not your circumstances. Peter denied, denied Jesus. True or not? Didn't Jesus already teach that whoever denies me before men, I would deny him before his father? Didn't he already say that? I mean, in Peter's mind, religiously, he's screwed. He's already denied men before, for, denied him before men, so therefore, like, what, what do I have left? But see, Jesus says, I pray that your faith wouldn't fail. Why is it, because faith is important for a son. Listen, let me, let me say it this way to you. When you're a son and you have held your faith, you can pray for the faith of another son that's wavering. But if yours is wavering, you have no authority to pray for somebody else's who is. See, Peter failed, but his faith did not. His failure, watch me, it had its work in accomplishing within him the reality of a son. Peter's failure brought him to his ultimate reality that made him a son. You see that? Why? Because Jesus prayed that his faith would not fail. His failure brought him to the reality. The faith caused him to enter that reality. The sickness brought this woman to the feet of Jesus. The faith secured her identity. Your circumstance is bringing you to the feet of the king. Your faith will empower who you are as a son before the king. If you come in unbelief, then you come before the king in a spirit that he cannot receive. The only thing that hinders God is not sin. Sin doesn't hinder him. He believes in the power of the blood. The blood can take away all sin. The only thing that hinders God is unbelief. This is why the temptation of Matthew 4, if you're a son, if you're a son, if you're a son, if you're a son. Why? Because if you question the reality of your identity, then you question the reality and the identity of God himself. This makes sense to you? Hold your faith. When the Son of Man comes, will he find Faith in the earth. What is he looking for? Faith. I don't have time to go there. But in First Peter, which is actually the guy who denied, he writes, you need to understand that your faith has to be tested and tried like gold, more precious than gold, tried in the fire, and it will bring forth praise and honor and glory to God in the end. In other words, if the circumstance doesn't create a difficulty in your life, you have no ability to exercise faith. It has to be tested, or it's not true faith. Your sonship has to be tested. And you get to determine the outcome and the reality. 
by what you believe. Remember that guy who got to heaven and, and Jesus looks at him and says, how'd you get here? You don't look like a son. You're wearing the wrong clothes. Kicked him out. Why? Because the man probably lived his entire life in unbelief, but yet had a lot of experiences with God. Somehow he got through, but he got kicked out because God's looking for faith. He's looking for people who love him and who believe in him. You with me? When your suffering has had its work and your faith has not failed, you will have the ability to strengthen your family, Jesus says to Peter. When you're converted, strengthen the sons. Sonship is about faith. It's about believing. It's about standing. And Jesus is still praying for our faith that it would not fail. When you come before God and he brings you through a hardship, he brings you through a trial, you realize that the devil's calling you a dog. It's not about who you are at that point. It's about whose you are. It's always about possession. What's possessing you? Doubt, unbelief, fear, love, joy, or peace. Which one are you allowing into your life? Because it's not the devil. It's you opening the door through your emotions and letting all that stuff in. And when you let that stuff in, it has authority over you. Unbelief is the devil's tool to gain access to your authority. Unbelief is the devil's tool to access your authority. He has none. He can only access yours. Listen, guys, why are we so convinced that the people in the world and the demonic people of the world have so much power and authority and then we, like, have none? I mean, if you don't think that that's true, think about it. When it we're, we're, we're afraid of the power of sin. You know, we get mad at somebody driving drunk on the side of the road. You know, Why? Because their sin has the authority to take a life. You, you understand me? We see that. We, we realize that. We see the power of, of an individual when they're run by hell. Somebody comes and says a bad thing to your wife or your kids and it makes them feel that big and they're weeping and crying and bawling and you just get so enraged. Why? Because that person has power over your children now. Authority. It was because the devil accessed their authority through that human possession for that moment and began to kill, steal, and destroy in your life. And we believe in the power of those people. We believe in the power of, of all these uh, rich and famous people who ruin things and spread filth through Hollywood. And, and we see the power of all that. But we don't see the power of the authority in our life. Like when we walk into Walmart, we feel like, oh, I'm just this little, oh, I better not offend anybody today. Like, 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 like somehow their authority is greater than ours? Listen, when I walk into Walmart, I walk in knowing I'm a son. And I walk around looking to see if people are intimidated by the presence that's around me. And sometimes they are. And they get really intimidated when you just go up and start talking to them about the Lord. And they just look at you like, leave me alone. No thanks, I'll pass. You don't get the right to say no until I leave. This is how it should work. Now, we don't just, we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, to who to talk to and who not to. Otherwise, you're going to get yourself in trouble. But nonetheless, we have authority. Why? Because we're giving our access to God in faith to be uh, him through us. This is exactly what Jesus did. I can do nothing apart from what? My Father. The human condition is not weak. It's just submitted to the wrong authority. Does this make sense? 
Faith is your access into the full reality of sonship. If you believe and tell this mountain to be cast in the sea, what will happen? When you remove a mountain, you're also removing a difficulty from someone else because they're going to have to travel that way. In other words, your life of faith is going to make someone else's journey so much easier. Isn't that true for us? Jesus' journey of faith made ours so much easier. You with me? Okay. Faith is the king, is a kingdom reality. My yes gives it power and authority in my circumstance. Your identity needs to be established not based upon your failures and your successes. Your identity needs to be established on the fact that he established it in his blood, and that blood is DNA that can never be rewritten or changed. Unbelief undermines your own authority. Unbelief is the cancer cell in the body, and if allowed to grow, it will begin to kill off the life of Christ inside of you. Doesn't change the DNA, but it affects the DNA. You understand what I'm saying? I really hope you heard me this morning. There's so much in here I can't get to. These are these sermons I'm preaching right now are recaps of things I've taught in the past, and there's so much more in here that I, I that I can prove to you these these realities in Scripture. You have got to come to Jesus, and when that devil starts telling you of who you're not, you simply stand in whose you are. And you possess something before you get to it. You pray from those things having possessed them. You pray through. If you're not sure about a situation and you're, you're really unsettled about something, I don't care what it is, then you need to take some time and stop and pray and fast. And you pray until God gives you an answer. But if you're just haphazardly going about your life waiting for heaven to drop something in your lap, that won't happen because sons are intentional. When I've prayed through for people, I've had situations come up in my life where I knew the will of the Lord, and I, but, I, but I didn't see it going that way. I began to seek God in a way where I, I physically was groaning through intercession and tears, laying on my face sometimes for hours for a specific individual. And then at some point, all of a sudden, during that moment, everything just stopped and broke. I felt it break. Instantly, it all lifted off of me. Instantly, it all lifted. I, I wasn't crying anymore. I felt peace. And I knew in the spirit realm, whatever I was praying for, it's done. I own it. I possess it. There is nothing that can happen circumstantially that will convince me that this isn't broken. And sometimes in those situations I was praying for, that it got worse, but it did not move me whatsoever. And then eventually in about a month or two or whatever, it turns and it all came to pass. Why? Because we are meant to be apprehended by God for someone else's deliverance. Our faith is the standpoint, the pillar by which some will be delivered. And if you're selfishly consuming your sonship upon your own life, you're never going to achieve the purpose of what it means to be a true son because true sons sacrifice their life so that others might know their father. That's the heart of a son. I want everybody to know my father. I want you to know your father. Your father. Our Father, when he teaches us to pray, it's not individual. Our Father. It's not yours. It's not mine. He's not specific. He's ours. 
Faith gives us the reality to access him. Amen? Stand to your feet, please. Father, we, we lift our hands because no one's sufficient for these things but you. And we just ask, Father, for your grace to be given to our life. And if there's any area of unbelief in our heart, Father, we ask you to forgive us because your word calls it an evil heart of unbelief. But Lord, we also pray right now by faith, Lord, that you would help our unbelief. And then Jesus, that we, you, you would speak to us and speak through us, both corporately and specifically and individually, but that, God, we would no longer begin to identify with the voices in our head and the emotions that are going on around us, calling us this and calling us that. We stand right now claiming whose we are, that we're possessed of the king, that this is not something we believe, but it is who we are. It's not something we're waiting for because by faith, it is us. We are the image of Jesus. We are the solution to circumstance. And so, Father, we bring every, every issue that we have in our life and lay it on the throne. And we say, Father, the best we know, we sacrifice it and surrender it to you now. And we're asking you that because you own these things and because we've given to you all of these things, that it's not right that something else possess these issues. So we ask for their return for your glory. And we pray this believing and knowing that Jesus did not die in vain. We praise you, we honor you, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.